and I'm here today with an interview with Jeff Berardelli. Um, he is a meteorologist with uh, CBS, uh, really focusing on extreme weather and uh, climate change, and uh, wanted to kind of get his perspective on what the hell's going on, and because there is a lot of stuff going on these days. Um, spring of 2019. So, Jeff, thanks for taking the time to chat today. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to be here. Awesome. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your uh, background, and so forth. Sure, yes. Yeah. So, um, I'm a meteorologist now for around uh, over 20 years. Um, grew up around the New York City area, went to Cornell University, got my atmosphere uh, extensive degree there. Um, actually, I'm currently involved in getting my master's degree at Columbia University in uh, it's climate change and society. So, hmm. there, it's, it's part science, but it's um, but it's even more just multidisciplinary. I'm taking climate change law and, you know, more of the social aspects of climate change. So climate change, I like to say, is like an octopus. It, uh, it, it has tentacles and everything. It affects yeah. so many different aspects of that. So I'm doing that as well, um, in addition, contributing to uh, CBS News in various fashions, still doing weather, but have added in uh, analysis on climate change and uh, also writing articles as they relate to, to climate change as well. So, um, you know, uh, just really doing my best to see if we can inject some more uh, climate change information into into the media because it's seriously been lacking over the past, you know, couple of decades, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, in the past year, it seems to have really, uh, the actual uh, um effects of the change just seem to have ratcheted up, whether you're looking at the polar vortex or, you know, the bomb cyclone uh, over the Midwest. And I mean, I know that uh, California with the uh, atmospheric river is now experiencing like really bad flooding. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, um, it's certainly gotten a lot worse over the past uh, decade or so. And especially I'd say over the past few years, uh, for me, you know, 2015, 2016 was kind of a turning point for my tools, looking at what was happening in the Arctic, the amount of ice that was melting, how warm it was, temperatures were going above, above freezing uh, at times of year that it shouldn't have gone above freezing. There was just dramatic change happening, and that has continued. That has not changed. The Arctic is still transforming right before our very eyes extraordinarily quickly. In fact, over the past uh, 40 years, we've lost about 50% of the sea ice volume I mean, it's 50% in 40 years. Think about that. Um, which, you know, the amount of rice and gas in that amount of time should take thousands of years. Hmm. It's only taken literally one generation. Yeah. Um, so that's concerning. And yes, this past year, right, uh, you know, um, the fires weren't caused by climate change, but there's, there's no doubt just a lot of scientific, scientific research that shows that uh, fires growing bigger fire season has lengthened tremendously by about three months or so because of climate change. Uh, most of the biggest fires that we've seen in recent history have happened over the past couple of decades. Uh, and then, of course, we have, uh, you know, storms like Hurricane Michael, which, you know, would have happened anyway if it, if it weren't for climate change. However, water temperatures were really warm in the northern uh, Gulf of Mexico. A lot of that was just due to simple weather. We had a high-pressure system across the southeast for weeks before Michael came, and that really warmed up the surface temperatures. However, 
you always have the background warming of a degree or two on top of that. And every degree or two matters. Uh, it really does when it comes to hurricanes. Because if, let's say your hurricane was destined to be a Cat 3 and it landfalls, you know, a whole category stronger, which is conceivable if your water temperature is a couple of degrees warmer and mm. only a couple of degrees warmer because of climate change. Uh, you, could, you could get that spike in intensity in a storm. And, um, and it's the biggest storm that caused the most damage. So just because your storm, let's say, is only 20 or 30 miles an hour stronger, or maybe you know, slightly more than that, you might actually see twice the amount of damage. So, you know, it's not linear. And I can go on and on. You've mentioned a couple of the, uh, the other effects of, uh, of climate change that we've seen this past year. Flooding in the Midwest is, is a big part of it. Look, you know, again, this weather pattern would have been the weather pattern anyway if it weren't for climate change, but climate change makes it worse. And one thing that we can be certain of is that flooding events and extreme rain events have increased tremendously over the past uh, several decades. In fact, we've seen an increase of about 40% in extreme rain events in the Midwest and an increase of about 60% in extreme rain events in the Northeast over the past several decades. Uh, and because of that, a, a report I just saw today um, showed that U.S. agriculture is way, way behind schedule in planting crops. Yeah. Uh, in terms of corn and uh, soybeans this year because of how wet it's been in the Midwest. So anyway, I don't want to belabor this point. I think, I think we get the point. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> um, I'm actually uh, pretty surprised that the, uh, the late planting in terms of uh, crops hasn't affected uh, crop prices more in terms of the uh, commodity markets, especially in terms of um, just... Uh, I don't know the potential shortage that 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 exists there. One of the um, you know one of the things that I remember growing up was when I would watch the uh, weather and uh, this was in Baltimore, Channel Thirteen. I remember and um, you know they would show the weather and uh, the jet stream and it was this wave pattern and you know it 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 was always the same shape. It was always the same kind of course of weather moving across the country, but it is it just me, or has the the jet stream actually become disrupted by what's going on with climate change? Well, we certainly think it has become disrupted. I mean, that's a really hard thing to test. It's a really hard thing to research. It's easier to kind of track extreme temperatures, right, because it's one measurement. It's, it's was it over 95 degrees today, or was it not? You know, yeah. that's an easy thing to measure. And uh, it's somewhat easier for our computer models to, to forecast that as well. Um, you know, analyzing the jet stream and then forecasting or, or projecting the jet stream into the future is very difficult because it involves atmospheric dynamics, and it's very, very complex, uh, atmospheric dynamics. With that said, um, undoubtedly there seems to be a shifting of, of the jet stream in, 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 in various ways because of uh, a lot of it due to warming of the Arctic, and it's, it's really tremendous warming of the Arctic. Uh, the Arctic is warming at least two times faster than the rest of uh, the planet, and a lot faster than that during the wintertime. Um, so because of that, it's displacing cold air masses. So, you know, if you have really uh, out of whack, if you will, warmth in, uh, in, in Arctic areas, um, the cold air has to go somewhere. So a lot of times it'll get displaced further south, and that's why it's conceivable that you know the bomb cyclone and, and maybe even more so the storm that happened a few weeks after that, the big blizzard in uh, in South Dakota, may have had um, at least some in some part been affected by climate change. Um, so yeah, I mean when you have a disruption in the Arctic, 
um, partly due to you know typical normal stratospheric warming events, which by the way may or may not be increasing because of climate change. But, uh, but then you have the added caveat of, of, uh, of a rapidly warming Arctic because ice is disappearing. And um, that's part of the reason, at least. Um, and yes, you end up throwing the jet stream off course. But, you know, that that is, in terms of uh, measuring the amount that it's been thrown off and um, and how it's been thrown off, that, that becomes more difficult for our scientists to quantify. And uh, there's been a lot of research lately. Michael Mann has... Uh, the quasi-resident frequency theory, which basically shows that waves become standing waves, meaning that, that things kind of get stuck, um, if you will, a little bit more. We get these higher amplitude waves, you know, instead of, like you said, moving straight west to east, which, you know, I mean, look, just seems always kinked and, and, you know, undulated. And we still have that going on. It just seems like it, 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 it's, a, it's a bigger effect. It seems like it's happening to a larger degree, if you will. Um, you're so, saying yeah. you're saying those those weather events end up getting basically stagnated over particular locations for longer periods of time. I mean that's that's what Michael Mann's uh, theory is, and uh, that he's seen that mostly over the summertime. Uh, doesn't apply quite as much to the wintertime, although I think we could probably do more research into that to see if it actually exists during the winter. Um, and there's there's some reasons for that. I don't want to get into too much detail there, but undoubtedly it does seem that we're getting higher amplitude waves now. Uh, I'm saying that observationally. I think that we need to uh, quantify that in research. Uh, there was a uh, there was research done by a woman, uh, a scientist uh, at the university. I think it was the University of Arizona, um, and she looked at tree she looked at tree rings in Europe and uh, her uh, over the past few hundred years, and her results show that the jet stream seems to be becoming a little bit more high amplitude. Uh, than it used to be um, back in like you know back centuries ago. So there's there's definitely some some scientific support for it. Of course, the, the I'd say that the uh, the most famous uh, research done on this is by Jennifer Francis, who says that um, this you know weakening of the contrast between warm air in the mid latitudes and not as cold air uh, in the Arctic is weakening the jet stream and that's causing it to dip more. We're seeing uh-huh. a wavier, she calls it a wavier jet stream. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean that 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 can cause extreme weather. Um, but again, we need more research on that, but undoubtedly there seems to be an impact. It's just figuring out exactly what that looks like. When you look at like uh, weather disruption, what does, um, <clears throat> we have a sense of what it's like here, but I'm curious, um, what does weather disruption look like, for example, in Asia? Like, we don't really get a sense of how climate change is affecting the rest of the world because, really, U.S. news is so yeah. U.S.-centric. Well, I mean, look, uh, there was a, um, a paper that came out recently showing that the heat wave last summer was unprecedented. It could not have happened without climate change. A lot of that did happen in Asia. It was Japan. It extended, actually, across Russia. And all the way to Montreal in Canada, where, um, you know, Quebec, there were about 90 people who died from the heat wave last summer. Hmm. So that's just one example. Uh, Lucifer, which was, um, you know, the heat wave that occurred in 2017, uh, that was um, estimated to, um, I think, have been something like 10 times more likely, at least in, in, in certain parts of the heat wave, than it would have been otherwise without climate change. 
you, I don't know if you remember Lucifer, but it was, you know, it was, uh, they nicknamed that heat wave back in 2017. And Is that the one that Dredd killed so many people in Europe? Yeah, but I don't remember exactly how many people, uh, but it was uh, mostly, I believe, in Eastern Europe. Yeah, Eastern uh, Europe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it goes, you know, I can go on and on, but but um, undoubtedly there are impacts all over all over the world uh, because of climate change. And yes, we do we do hear about it less in the United States because we're, you know our media is very focused on the U.S. But there's plenty of impacts to go around in the United States to keep us busy, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I mean, all of these, you know, uh, are really long-term developments and impacts. So. Even with something like the Paris Accords, like what's what's the ability of the human race to really kind of reverse things to kind of right the ship, or are we just are we locked into a kind of situation where you know we're going to be experiencing these events for generations to come? I think the answer is both. We are going to be locked in, undoubtedly. Uh, there's going to be warming no matter what we do today. Carbon dioxide is already out there in the atmosphere. Uh, we don't have a way of getting it out yet. Um, carbon capture is, is, is available, but it's not in any way um, affordable, and it's not scalable yet. So unfortunately, um, you know, there's a certain amount of adaptation we are going to have to do. It's not going to be completely about mitigation. We're not going to be able to turn this ship around in the immediate future and save ourselves from, you know, uh, ultimate warming. We are going to warm. Uh, undoubtedly, we're getting to 1.5. I don't think there's much of a disagreement in the uh, climate community on that. And when I say 1.5, I mean 1.5 Celsius above, you know, uh, late uh, 19th century warming uh, or late 19th century temperatures. Um, but can we turn the ship around? Yeah, but, you know... The more I kind of wade into climate change waters, the more I realize that the human race is not really equipped to turn the ship around very fast. There's a lot of denial going on. And what I, I don't mean, I'm not talking about climate change deniers, although that is a part of it. I'm talking about, in general, human denial, right? We go through those different stages of grief you yeah. know, when something happens. And one of those stages is just denying that it even happened in the first place. We have to get through that stage. And I am not convinced in any way, shape, or form, looking at the politics of the world right now. Yeah. Uh, that we have gotten to the point where we're willing to really admit that we have a problem. So if we if we if we've not yet gotten to the well, we admit there's an issue. We can't possibly solve it. You know, of course, there are a lot of people who realize we have the we have this problem. But there's a lot of money on the other side, a tremendous amount of money from fossil fuel industries that are going to slow our progress as much as possible so they can keep money rolling in. Yeah. Um, and and so I just. You know, I think we're gonna. I think there's a lot more damage to come before we turn. I think ultimately it's gonna take people to look and see. Wow, look at how altered our ecosystems are. Look at how altered our weather is. We really have a problem, and this is scary. It's gonna be the the, the you know the ninth hour or whatever the phrase is before we uh, the tenth. What is it? The tenth hour? <laughs> I can't remember the eleventh hour. It's gonna be yeah. The eleventh hour. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's negative. Like, I'd say we're in the ninth hour right now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be the 11th before we make this turn. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, like, what happened with Sandy, and, uh, I mean, if you're in New York, I mean, obviously you kind of lived through that um, that experience in uh, New York City, but, uh, you know, it, it surprises me, 
with uh, J- the Jersey Shore with kind of severe storm risk that people who own shore property are not kind of, um, you know, mitigating their risks, so to speak, by selling shore property. When you talk to people who own shore property, it's like, well, you know, my parents have always owned this house and I'm just going to retire here and everything will be fine. And, you know, it's really kind of a head in the sand kind of mentality, literally. Well, I think that people think that they can beat their mortgage cycles, meaning that, you know, uh, or or that they'll die before they really have to worry about it. I think there's a lot of that. Um, I think they, they realize that, you know, Hurricane Sandy was perhaps a once-in-a-few-hundred-year event, and even if climate change makes it more likely, maybe something like a Hurricane Sandy would only be a, a once-in-a-hundred-year event, and they're not likely to live another hundred years. So, you know, um, Hurricane Sandy is an interesting one because... I always debate uh, personally about whether or not climate change played that much of a role with, with Hurricane Sandy. I mean, you know, there's 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 undoubtedly some things about it that uh, that kind of raise red flags, like the extraordinary turn that it made. But you can't say that it wouldn't have made that turn um, if it weren't for climate change. But you know, it makes sense. You know, you have a jet stream that's more quirky, it's more wavy. Um, you know, Hurricane Sandy was late in the season, so that it would have so it was impacted by the jet stream. In fact, whereas a lot of hurricanes in the middle of the season, let's say August, are not. Um, so I think there was some impact there, but um, you know, Sandy would have happened regardless of, of, of climate change. But but undoubtedly, storms like Sandy are probably going to become more more likely um, as as time goes on, just simply because we're warming the northern Atlantic. You know. And, and therefore, hurricanes will be able to sustain their intensity more. And if, if the gesture is in fact becoming more wavy, which we think it is, there's the there's always a chance that storms could take those turns, you know, into the coast uh, more often. But again, that's you know, that's just kind of a qualitative, uh, uh, you know, uh, assessment that I'm making. Yeah. Um, but with all that said, yeah, sea levels rising. Regardless of Sandy, right? I mean, yeah. you know, sea levels rising, you're likely to be some bigger storms along the eastern seaboard. And yes, this is going to be a problem. But people enjoy, you know, people, it's happening all over. People want to live on the water. And they just believe that they're going to be immune to it or that the insurance will cover it. And that's that's something that I can really talk about because, you know, I'm, I lived in South Florida for, for uh, 12 years. I lived in Tampa for six years also. So it's really over the past 20-something years, I spent most of my years in, uh, in Florida mm. uh, forecasting hurricanes. And, um, you know, so far we've been somewhat lucky. Insurance has been able to cover uh, the cost of storms. But take Hurricane Irma last year. I mean, uh, what a disaster. Uh, was that last year? No, I can't even remember. Or the year before. Um, was that the one that hit North Carolina with the... Uh um, Irma was the storm that moved across uh, the Caribbean islands and then, you know, um, moved right right through the spine of Florida, but it weakened tremendously when it hit Cuba. Hit Cuba. They're supposed to come in. Now, this is Hurricane Irma was the monster. It was the it was the storm that uh, it was two years ago, uh, I believe, and I I could be wrong now. It, 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 um, but you know, I was uh, living in in Palm Beach. Um, you know, uh, the chief meteorologist down there and uh, it was scary because the storm was looking like a couple days ahead of time it was going to go through Miami, Fort Lauderdale and right through West Palm which meant it would have went through all the big 
major metropolitan areas. And, you know, as perhaps a Cat 5, uh, and if not a Cat 4, but think about the amount of, of, of insured losses that would have caused. Yeah. Because it wasn't going straight into land perpendicular. It was coming straight parallel up the coast. And I just don't know that insurance companies would have been able to weather that storm. And there would have been a tremendous amount of lawsuits because they would have tried to get away with not, you know, paying a lot of those uh, policies out. So, um, and I just, and I, you know, the, and, and probably the National Flood Insurance uh, you know, uh, program would have also been a disaster if that had happened as well. So, um, one of the other know, one of the other risks that Ed, I remember that as well, and um, one of the other risks that that kind of pointed out was I remember that there's actually a uh, there's a nuclear power plant along the coast uh, around Miami, like just yeah, north sure. of Miami, yeah. right? And so uh, it was yeah. actually like. Um, you know, serious talk of like, are we looking at another potential Fukushima in terms of, you know, storm surge kind of flooding the facility yeah. and kind of the exposure that that creates in terms of um, other damage additionally? Well, I think it's a, I think it's a valid concern. Um, Biscayne Bay is where it's located, which mm. is uh, South Miami, and um, Biscayne Bay itself is very shallow, um, but once you get a little further offshore of Biscayne Bay, uh, it's actually very deep. Generally speaking, the southeast coast of, of Florida does not see a tremendous storm surges, let's say like the west coast of Florida would or places like the northern Gulf Coast because there's a more gentle slope in the uh, Gulf of Mexico there. And because of that, it allows these you know, uh, storm surges to build up and become much higher. Um, uh, on the southeast coast of Florida, you don't usually get storm surges to that degree. However, there's caveats there, which is once the storm surge gets into the more shallow parts of Biscayne Bay or some of the tributaries, some of the nooks and crannies of Biscayne Bay and up into, um, you know, up into northern Biscayne Bay around Miami Beach, then the water can really start to pile up, if you will. And and one of those areas is where the, the nuclear power plant is uh, south of Miami. So, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely concern. There's lots of concerns in Miami. You know, one of them is Forget about hurricanes. I mean, you don't even need hurricanes. You're already, we're already getting sunny day flooding in South exactly. Beach. I have a property there. I sold it recently. And, um, but, but something that they're really concerned about is what happens as, you know, sea level rises. And um, not only do you get saltwater intrusion, so you have a lack of fresh water for the people to drink in and around South Florida. Uh, but also it gets into the sewer systems um, where, you know, you, the, the, um, the sewage no longer has a, has a place to be uh, because because you know water has gotten into the water table there to mm. the point where so there's there's some major concerns there in in, in South Florida. Mm. What um, when you sold your house did you see an impact in terms of your ability to sell it or in terms of the price of what that's doing in terms of people's recognition of yeah. that uh, risk? I, mean, I did a couple of things. You know, it's really hard to pick it apart but yes it seems like the market is flattened and it does seem like people are really concerned about that sea level rise to, to at least some degree enough so that the market has flattened down there um but the other thing is at the same time they're building like crazy again there are cranes or there have been cranes everywhere in miami for the past few years and there are so many units that have come online 
Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard to figure out exactly what's causing the market to flatten, but I can tell you that almost every buyer that comes into South Beach asks that question to realtors. So if even only a portion of those people actually really end up not buying because they believe that they didn't get a sufficient answer from their realtor, that it does affect the market down there. Um, the question, the question that that people are asking is what that whether or not this house will be affected by by sea level rise. Yeah, or, or even even if it's not, will it affect the market? Right? Will I yeah. be able to get a mortgage? Will when I sell this, are my buyers going to be able to get a mortgage? Yeah. Is my insurance going to go up? How much more is it going to cost now? Yeah. So I have to get you know more expensive insurance. So all these questions are things that I worried about, and when I had my counter there. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, it, you know, it's not like Miami's going to disappear into the ocean tomorrow, but it certainly could in our lifetime. Yeah. I mean, you know, it certainly, it's, it's certainly conceivable that, that Miami Beach, and they've invested a lot of money. Miami Beach invested about $500 million. Uh, Miami Tropper invested about $400 million. They're raising the streets. They're putting pumps in. Miami's trying to uh, build their, Miami Beach is trying to build, uh, their cities to withstand at least another 30 years of sea level rise, and then they plan on probably raising the streets even more, you know, 30 years from now or 20 years from now, and putting stronger pumps in, you know, uh, but at some point, um, fighting the ocean is somewhat futile, so, um, you know, there, there's a likelihood that at some point Miami is going to be, Miami Beach and, and Miami proper is going to become Atlantis. Uh, but is that going to be 50 years from now, or is that going to be 200 years from now? Um, it's probably going to be the former, unfortunately. I, it may not be 50 years, but it, it's probably not going to take 200 years for it to happen. Well, the, the, the problem is, like, even if you waited for the eventual change, some event will come along like a hurricane, which will then accelerate the change, like what happened with New Orleans, with Katrina. Yeah. Exactly, and I think that that's a major concern is what what happens when there's a huge hurricane and people are extremely aware that sea levels are rising anyway. How, is it really worth it to put Miami back together again? Yeah. Are insurance companies and our investors going to going to put that money in um, to it? Are they you know are our insurance companies going to going to going to insure? Um, are mortgage companies going to mortgage? You know, they may think twice after a major disaster, a major hurricane hits South Florida. And um, and that would be kind of the beginning of the end. Uh, you know, um, they've been lucky. Uh, you know, except for Hurricane Andrew, which hit, you know, Homestead south of Miami, which really spared downtown Miami. Uh, there haven't been any tremendous big impact hurricanes down there at all. Um, you know... Um, Hurricane Irma turned out to be a much weaker system when it hit Florida, but it could have been a, an absolute, absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. If you look at what Hurricane Maria did to Puerto Rico, I think a lot of people think it's because Puerto Rican infrastructure is not that good, and, and there's, there's some truth to that. But, um, you know, the storm affected everything. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, think, about, think about a storm hitting an even more populated area head-on. Yeah. Like... Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and West Palm. I just, I can't, as a, as a meteorologist and someone who lived there for many, many years, people would it, would, it would take years for people to piece their lives back together. So one of the, um, one of the things I've talked to other people about is really this, 
you know, one of the things I think that encourages this kind of uh, head in the sand mentality is, you know, we all have been in some effect uh, siloed where we don't really share common experience and it kind of allows for us to kind of skate by in terms of our own private um, universe, so to speak. Um, you know, one of my points is really as we start to kind of build these common stories where we have these kind of shared experiences, whether it's in terms of, you know, uh -huh. the flooding in the Midwest or losing a house or, you know, having um, your life destroyed by a fire in California, like, like, oh, like, that sounds like what happened to me. And like sharing stories like that, I think, is really a solution to accelerating kind of coming together and actually starting to affect real change. Yeah, I think you're right. What you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think that you have to imagine that a lot of people living in the Midwest right now are sharing those stories with each other. And they wouldn't uh, have had those stories. They wouldn't have had that sense, you know, a year ago. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's what's changing public opinion. We've seen a big rise over the past year or two uh, in the public opinion uh, as to whether climate change is happening and whether climate change is caused by humans. Still not nearly as high as it needs to be. 97% I mean, of climate scientists agree that climate change is happening and it's caused by humans. If you ask human beings, that number is somewhere around 62 to 66% of, of people think that climate change is caused by humans. Yeah. So there's still a lot of ground to make up. Um, you know, there are still a lot of, of, of people out there who just believe that that climate always changes and it always will. Um, but that's changing as, you know, storms like Hurricane Michael hit the panhandle of Florida. You see politicians changing their tune down in Florida. Um, and that's going to follow suit in other states as well. You, you know, Midwest, they can't escape the reality of climate change uh, with all the flooding going on. Farmers may not admit it. They may not say it out loud because it may not be, you know, something that's permissible to talk about uh, in, in various areas. But they're thinking it. They know extreme. They know the weather is becoming more extreme, and whether they want to admit that it's climate change or not, I think they know deep down inside it is. So, yeah. you know, so it is. It, things are changing. Uh, probably not as fast as we need it. Unfortunately, the climate is changing faster than human beings are. Yeah. But that is kind of the definition of evolution, isn't it? I mean, you know, only the strong survive. You have to be able to evolve as fast as as. Well, and it's, your environment does, I mean, and if you don't, you it, don't survive, and that's it's the nature. Yeah, it's the ability to adapt. It's the ability yeah. to adapt. It's the pace of change that matters. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat today. I mean, and uh, especially sharing your experiences and so forth. Um, if people want to uh, connect with you and learn more about uh, kind of the work that you do, or if they have questions, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, so either Twitter or Facebook's fine. Um, Twitter is at weatherprof. That's my, my handle. So at weather as in snow, sleep, rain, at prof as in professor, just P-R-O-F. And um, on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Jeff Weather. So those two places are the places to reach me. Awesome. Thanks again for taking the time to uh, chat today. And uh, if you don't mind, maybe we'll reconnect uh, in the future and kind of uh, revisit things. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. I'll okay. talk to you soon.